Well, good morning. Hope you're all doing well. It's not going to stay. Uh, this morning, we are going to continue in our series in Genesis. And we will be looking at the story of Noah. It's a story of evil. A story of judgment. It's a story of faith and of grace. But I'd like to start today by reading a story. A story about a gal named Erin Ulmer and her family. On May 3rd, 2015, Erin and her husband of 13 years, John, took their three children, 11-year-old Olivia, 7-year-old Ezra, and 5-year-old Sela, for a walk across a newly constructed trestle trail bridge. It was a 1,600-foot pedestrian bridge that was converted from a railroad bridge. It's located in Menasha, Wisconsin. They walked all the way across, turned around and began the trip back, and in the middle of the bridge was a red pavilion with some benches underneath. As they approached, they noticed a man slumped over on one of the benches, and another man standing nearby. Ezra was further ahead with their dog, Sammy, and as they came closer to the red pavilion, John approached the man to try and see what was the matter. Nothing could have prepared them for what happened next. Without warning, the man pulled out a gun, and shot John in the chest. He shot Olivia, and then he shot Aaron in the leg. All three went to the ground. Aaron got up and grabbed Sela, was in shock, and she started to run. More shots were fired. As they approached Ezra, Aaron told him to run and get help. Aaron was shot two more times. One bullet hit her in the hand and another in her abdomen. As she reached the end of the bridge, she collapsed to the ground. She said she didn't remember feeling any pain until she Stopped there to lay. Looking back towards the bridge, she didn't see anybody coming. Later, she learned that the gunman had taken his own life. Her husband, John, and her daughter, Olivia, and another innocent man named Adam did not survive the terror of that day. Aaron, lost, Aaron never lost consciousness as they transported her to the hospital where she underwent emergency surgery. When she woke from surgery, the reality came flooding back to her mind and her worst fears were confirmed that John and Olivia were gone. Erin couldn't speak right after the surgery due to the tube that was in her mouth, but as soon as she was able to, she told them what her husband's last words were. Words that came from a man who loved Jesus and understood what it meant to be forgiven. He said to the shooter, may God forgive you. In a moment of pain and unspeakable evil, John echoed the words of Stephen in the book of Acts when he was being stoned to death. There is evil in this world. And our story today is full of evil, full of depravity. And it begins in chapter six of Genesis. Go ahead and take out your Bibles and let's dive in. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll pray. Verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they were 
born children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we humbly come before you today and, and confess that our ways are not your ways. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. Lord, we read about evil in this story, and we read about the evils in our society today. We see the brokenness of your world, and Lord, we just ask that as we study today, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see and to hear your truth. You are a God of judgment and of grace. Lead us as we seek you today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In your note sheets, I'm going to take those out. <clears throat> Point number one. Depravity of man and the judgment of God. I was thinking today, um, this week, about this story. And I wondered how many people were on the earth at this time. It says in verse one that man began to multiply. And so like any good person, I googled it. The Bible doesn't give exact numbers, and so we would only be guessing. But if the growth and death rates were similar to how they are now, it's estimated that there would have been around 750 million people. However, lifespan back then was astronomical. People could have lived anywhere from 700 to 900 years. And it says here at the beginning of this chapter that God decided to change that. And it would be closer to 120 years. So, with that being brought into the equation, they said that there could have been as many as 4 billion people. And as I thought about that, I remember this clip that I saw from a preacher as he was beginning to talk about Noah and the ark. And he got really quiet and he said, Friends, the story of Noah and the ark is not a children's story. It's the opposite of one. We don't have time to get into everything that these four chapters have to say about this. And there's been a lot of discussion over the years as to who the sons of God are and who the daughters of men are, who the Nephilim is. Are they fallen angels? Are they superhumans like Goliath? Truth is, the Bible doesn't really give us enough detail, so I'm not gonna spend that much time on it. But know that it is a highly debated topic. But what we do know is that whoever these people are, whatever they are, and whatever is going on here, God doesn't like it. Look at verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention, all of them, evil. And then verse 6. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. 
the Lord regretted. The Lord's not second-guessing himself. The NASB actually translates the word regretted as sorry. But the truth is that God was pained and grieved by the evil that is in man's heart. Look at 7 and 8. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Blot out man. God is going to blot out possibly billions of people. Why? Because they were all evil to their core. All except one, Noah. It says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is not a children's story. We are all sinners. We deserve judgment. Look with me at Romans chapter 3. We're going to be reading 9 through 20. Paul says this. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in human way. <clears throat> By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is a heavy story. That's a heavy passage. But the good news is the next three verses. In Romans 3, verse 21 through 24, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that's what's happening here. Noah has found favor in the eyes of the Lord. 
Back to Genesis 6, look at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Because of Noah's faith, he's being counted as righteous and blameless. Noah walked with God. The book of Hebrews says something about Noah. Chapter 11, verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. No one is righteous. It's only through faith in Christ that anyone can be called righteous. God comes to Noah and tells him of the coming judgment and how God plans to destroy evil. Look with me at chapter 6, verse 14 through 16. God tells Noah that I need you to make an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits. Basically, the Lord has just asked Noah to build a boat the size of a stadium. And then the rest of the chapter, God lays out the plan. Build this ark. Prepare this many animals. Get all this food ready. But here's the key. Verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah is obedient. Unlike Adam. Noah did everything that the Lord asked. I can't, I can't imagine how long it took to, for him to build that ark. And how many people would have mocked him day after day. And every day he kept making it. And every day he kept telling them what was coming. Nobody believed him. But he believed the Lord. And Noah did exactly what God asked. And then in the first part of chapter 7, the Lord lays out how many clean animals he's to take into the ark, how many unclean animals. It says he's to take seven pairs of each clean animal, female and male, and one pair of each unclean, male and female. He's also to take seven pairs of every type of bird. Then the Lord says that in seven days, it will start raining. And it's not going to stop for 40 days and 40 nights. I don't know about you, but I get grumpy after a day or two. Look at chapter 7, verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. You should start to see a theme with Noah. Noah is obedient. And it says that Noah and his wife and his three sons and their three wives went into the ark, along with all the animals and all the birds. And then verse 9. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. All, after all were in the ark, as God had commanded, it says that the Lord shut them in. And then after seven days, the rain started to fall. 
The flood came upon the earth, and the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. And look at 19 through 24. It says, And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the mountains under the whole heavens were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all the flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in those in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man, animals, and creepy things, and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. Waters prevailed on earth 150 days. I was thinking about Hurricane Katrina this week. That hit New Orleans a while back. And I remember on TV seeing the devastation. It was incredible. Nearly 2,000 people died from the hurricane and the floods that followed. It was a horrible event. I also remember in 2010, the tsunami that hit Haiti. A seven-point earthquake caused that tsunami. 200,000 deaths in total. And as awful as those are, both pale in comparison to the flood that covered all of the earth, where the highest mountains were covered. Every animal, every bird, and every man, likely billions, gone. So the truth is, as heavy as it is, that God is a God of judgment. He hates sin, he hates evil. But there's another truth, just as equally true, and that is that God is a God of grace. God desires to show grace to those who trust in him. That trust in him over their own desires and their own wants. And again, of only the billions, only Noah trusted God. And 150 days they waited in the ark with nothing but water surrounding them. How amazingly terrifying must that have been? Just waiting and waiting and waiting. That brings us to point number two. The God of grace. Again, the truth is that all of us, all of mankind deserve judgment because we are all sinners. We all deserve help. And this is why grace is so beautiful. This is what makes grace so amazing. It is all undeserved favor. The fact that God would save even one person is amazing grace. And chapter 8 starts with the four greatest words of this story. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made the wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. God remembered Noah. He remembered that Noah walked with him, that Noah had faith in him. And after 150 days of waiting on the water, God begins to make the water subside. And it takes another 150 days for that to happen. 300 days on the water. And finally, the ark comes to rest on 
a mountain range called the Ararat. Look with me at chapter 8, verse 7 through 12. It says, Noah sent forth a raven. They went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him at the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth a dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf, and no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. So at this point, Noah removes the covering of the ark, and he can see that the ground is dry. And then God tells Noah and his family to leave the ark, to bring out all the creatures as well, so that they may begin to be fruitful and multiply. And then in verse 20 and 21, it says that Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. Chapter 9. And God begins with God's command to Noah and his sons to begin to be fruitful and multiply. Again, echoing a command that God once gave to Adam. And then in verse 9 of chapter 9, God establishes the Noahic covenant. Look at 9 through 15. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the field of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall, I, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you, and me and the earth. Then I bring the clouds. When I bring the clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Noah is for us a great example of faith. A great example of obedience. The problem, though, is that Noah's ability to build an ark and his ability to survive a flood isn't enough. He didn't have the power to escape sin. He was still full of sin. And all of his future generations that followed would still be full of sin. The heart is still corrupted with sin. And so there needs to be another story of obedience. There needs to be another story of salvation. Many years later, a better man than Noah came. A man who would also be obedient. A man who would provide a better salvation than that of an ark. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless, obedient life. 
Jesus delivers us from the final judgment that's coming. According to Peter, the flood is an ancient simulation of what happens in a Christian baptism. Look with me at 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. I found this quote regarding 1 Peter, this passage, but unfortunately I couldn't find the author's name, but here it is anyways. The writer said, originally Noah and his family survived because of the ark's protection. Now believers are baptized in water in identification with Jesus, who was plunged into the earth and ultimately raised from the dead. While a wooden ark delivered Noah from a physical death, a wooden cross delivers us from spiritual death. Just as Noah obeyed God by climbing onto a boat to save a few, Jesus obeyed his father by climbing onto the cross to save many. And the Lord Jesus had his own quote regarding Noah. Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39 says this, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the, days, or until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Tomorrow is not promised. And if you haven't given your life to Christ and haven't trusted Him for your salvation, hear me now. Do not wait. The day of Christ's return is unknown. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. And if he returns before you've given your life to him, it will be too late. If you die before you've given your life to him, it will be too late. And when he comes, the plans for tomorrow and the plans for next week will be gone. The truth is that the flood of Noah's time was pointing to the final judgment. When God will come and judge sinful man once and for all. Jesus has already taken upon himself the judgment for those who would trust in him, believe in him, confess to him that you are a sinner, repent, turn from your sin, and follow him. If you are a believer here today, then I ask you, what are you doing with today? Are you living for Christ? Are you sharing him with others? We need to be mindful of eternity. Question is, are we ready for his return? Let's pray. Father, you are a God of judgment and a God of grace. And we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us and your son, Jesus. 
Father, I pray that, that we would seek you, that we would share with those who don't know you. And I pray that we would look forward to the day when Christ will return. And as we look forward to the day, we look forward to when there will be no more sin. Lord, when there be no more pain, no more tears, no more evil, and no more need for judgment. Just a holy God and his creation living together forever in heaven. May we live for you and grow close to you as we wait for that day. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.